This is how we overcome We're moving out Keep us up Reaching to the world Arms open Arms open Yeah This is how we practice Great well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So friends, we are in episode two of a new series, um, Influential Books Outside of the Bible. So last week, Erica told us a bit about a book that has strongly influenced her life and her faith journey. Um, the Bible told them so. Um, which is a deep look into some congregations in the 1960s uh, um, about segregation and how they used the Bible to try to keep separate. Uh, so where are we going today? Well, um, so the, the book that I'm going to share about um, is a little bit older and um it's been a while since I've read it, but as we were sort of kicking around ideas about what are books that have been formative or have, have been important in our faith journeys, um, this is one that sort of like was falling to me off the shelf. Um, it's uh, one written back in 1989 is the copyright date um, called Resident Aliens by Stanley Harawas and William Willimon. Um, both of those writers come out of the United Methodist tradition, although both of them also like uh are this weird kind of Methodist that is also somehow peace tradition, Roman Catholic affiliated and uh, <laughs> pacifist Mennonite. I mean, like they, they sort of write with a, um, a connection and listening to and their, their, their uh, conversation partners are, are a lot wider. Um, and the, the book was written, the subtitle is life in the Christian colony, a provocative Christian assessment of culture and ministry for people who know that something is wrong. That, I mean, and that almost by itself feels like well, that could mean anything. Um, uh, what what was helpful for me? And I, like I say, I read this probably about 20 years ago. Um, I think I first read it uh, when I was in seminary and it wasn't required reading uh, in, in a class. I think I'd first gotten introduced to stuff by Harawas when I was in college. And um, I think what what. Um, leapt out at me was this was probably one of the first books I ever read that sort of talked about and picked up the imagery of um Christians being uh this sort of like well that that image of being resident aliens of not not needing to be the people who were in charge and bossing people around controlling the empire but recognizing our voice as the sort of minority report in the world and being willing to be weird and to own our weirdness rather than we're normal everybody should fit our expectations and it it as a as a book it sort of looked at in late 20th century america what would it look like to recapture that um but there are some really big ideas in it that were really helpful for me challenging for me and uh, that i still wrestle with so even though as i reread it now the kind of um cultural touch points that it's it's wrestling with or that the authors are wrestling with are obviously now 40 years out of date and they're dealing with uh, uh, Libya on the horizon and the Reagan administration or um, <laughs> Jerry Falwell. And so like obviously like the, the, the issues within American Christianity to some degree are different, um, but to some degree they are timeless. And we've been wrestling in some way with 
ever since Constantine, you know, officially makes Christianity the religion of the empire in the fourth century, we've been wrestling ever since with, should we be the ones calling the shot and in charge? And should we be dominating everybody else's uh, expectations of culture? Or are we supposed to be this sort of different kind of presence, like yeast in the dough to borrow Jesus imagery, or uh, the small seed or the that small light that, uh, you know, shines for the good of, of everybody. Um, and for me, it was a really helpful read, but a challenging read, because it, I, I had not read anybody before who made that case i guess so see what i'm hearing is it kind of because you mentioned constantine and making you know christianity the the religion of the empire and stuff it sounds like if you were to update this book it, it's going to speak against the christian nationalism that we see so much in our or am I off on that? Yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, like if 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 you'd continue the trajectory to like, what are the ways that these same points are important? I think they would definitely be voices saying like, we aren't supposed to be building a new empire here. Um, and they make the case, I think, pretty strongly that like um, Jesus vision is not for his followers to build an empire or command the, you know, the, the positions of power, whether military power or economic power or that kind of influence. Um, but that, and that's not to say that that Christianity never has anything to say that touches on politics or the way we live our communal life, but mm -hmm. almost like they're like, of course, the rest of the world is going to look at us like we're, you know, weird and have three eyes and, you know, like, yeah, we're supposed to be weird. That's part of how our, our presence in the world is supposed to be. Um, and without it being an entire, uh, it's, it's not it's not like a Bible study kind of a book where it's all about commenting on a particular Bible passage, it's sort of rooted in look how much of the New Testament assumes that the followers of Jesus are this kind of alternative community. Um, and that our presence is, yeah, we'll make a difference by being our weird selves, not by making everybody else do what we want them to do. And it's that it's not, if only we get ourselves in positions of power and control the levers of power, then we can exert our influence. But more, no, we'll have lost our influence if we do that. Instead, our calling is to be that weird, different kind of community that teaches a different way of life uh, by modeling it for one another and for the new disciples who come along. Um, and so like that, that to me was was such a different perspective than a lot of the voices. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I can remember hearing and growing up around and that certainly are loud voices around today. One of the things I remember reading about uh, from this book early on, uh, there's there's a, a whole section they talk about like the importance of the the Sermon on the Mount in um, in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. And again, it's not a commentary so much as to say like um, they, they sort of they sort of say like you know Christians have and especially in America haven't really known what to do with this. And sometimes there mm -hmm. are some Christian traditions that are like, well, we don't focus on that because you know we're about jesus has come to bring us life after death and so we don't really ever get around to talking about the sermon on the mount and, he, and then he, they say like other christian traditions have sort of treated this like this is a list of rules of here's what you should do and that's not even the way jesus talks he treats it like this is how god is so it's indicative rather than imperative it's like this is how god runs the universe either get on that wavelength uh or don't but like realize jesus is making claims not about what we should do and only if we uh, you know, work hard enough. Can we make the world like this? But to say this is how God says the world actually operates. To to realize that is to participate in God's kingdom, God's reign. Um, and so it's not about if only we can persuade enough people to be peacemakers, then the world will have peace. But to say God runs the world by self-giving love. When you live in light of that or in line with that, you're participating in God's reign that already exists. Not we need to build the kingdom and make it happen by our efforts. And so uh, it 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 felt 
like it was clear this wasn't just um we've got this social action plan um and if we get enough subscribers or people to you know sign on to it then we'll make effect this change but more about jesus is telling us something different about how god runs the universe and it's a question of whether we will believe that jesus knows what he's talking about or not um so it was a, like a really uh hopeful way of reading about uh things like the sermon on the mount um and also that they are willing to live with yeah sometimes that means the christian community is going to be this small seemingly powerless entity in the world and that will be laughable to the rest of the world instead of like lamenting that and saying oh i wish we had more power or more influence to say that's when we're at our best is that sort of small vocal community that lives differently and that can't get called out for hypocrisy for not walking the talk because are we're committed to actually living this different way of life i think that was another thing that i found really helpful um certainly that's only gotten more the case in the last 40 years you know, as people worry and lament about the decline of the church. And I hear people talk about like, you know, uh, aren't, aren't you upset that things aren't, that the church doesn't seem to be as influential or as big or, or as it used to be. Um, and I guess I think um, there's a piece of me having read Harawas and Willimon that would say like, maybe this is allows us to be what we were supposed to be all along rather than we should be lamenting that we don't have power or influence. Maybe we should say we were never supposed to be people who uh, ran culture wars, but we were always supposed to be this very different kind of presence in the world, like yeast, like salt. You know, Steve, you, you mentioned about us building the kingdom of God. And that's something I, I've had this book on my, on my shelves for years. I have never read it probably need to even though it's 40 years out of date um that's something i have personally really wrestled with mm -hmm. probably in the last year it's like mm -hmm. using that terminology in my pastoral prayers using that terminology in my preaching like we don't build the kingdom of god god builds god's kingdom right um you know and like you said we're supposed to we're the ones that need to get on board with it you know be on that same wavelength as you said about the sermon on the mount and I, and I struggle with how to how to reframe my thinking about that and how mm -hmm. like we're not the ones that do the building God does the building but we have an active role in that how those work together there's a phrase that N.T. Wright uses in a lot of his books in the last couple of decades um, when he moved away from writing strictly the gigantic thick Harry Potter novel length academic tomes and started writing more easily accessible stuff he would use this phrase about we don't build the kingdom but we build for the kingdom and his way mm -hmm. of what, what he would say about that is that like this is his way of saying that what we do in this life matters and that our actions none of them are in vain or lost and so like it, it, in a way it's like every act of generosity every word of kindness everything that is done toward justice and truth like these are things that are somehow used by god in the big picture and maybe if it feels like they're just this tiny little brick and building the giant cathedral yeah maybe that's what it's like but that none of what we do is lost um uh and yet it's not like God saying, it's all up to you guys to figure it out. I'm just sitting back and watching you either you know, succeed or fail. Um, but that language I've always found helpful that we don't build the kingdom, but we build for the kingdom. Um, and it sort of taps into Jesus' way of talking about like, you can either store up your treasures in this world or you can store up your treasures. Like he's not saying mm -hmm. the only thing that matters is after you die in the afterlife, but more to say, spend your life on what actually counts. And at the end of my life, I doubt I'm going to be worried about if I had a bigger pile of money than anybody else. Um, but I, it will have mattered whether I was 
uh, someone of compassion and decency and truth and honesty and justice. Um, I, I, for me, that's helpful language. Um, and it sort of gets at that very point you're, you're raising that, that same wrestling question. Yeah. The other so thing that you, I, oh, go ahead. You said you first read this 20 years ago. Yeah. Have you, probably. have you read it more recently? And if so, or even if you to reread it now, how do you think it would change your perspective having now 20 years of you know, not quite 20 years of pastoral ministry, but like yeah. all your experiences Yes, it's an outdated book in a lot of ways. Right, right. But like, how has your experience now? How would that change your reading of the book now? Maybe. Yeah. Well, and there, I, I think, um, I think when I when I first read it, I was um, completely persuaded by their perspective of like Christians are always at odds with everything in the wider culture. I mean, like they're they're sort of willing to go that direction. That's very Stanley Hauerwasis and sort of like a we're completely in paradox and at odds with the whole rest mm -hmm. of the world and everybody gets it wrong. <laughs> um, um, and so like they will, you know, they they will usually take shots at in, in their in their day, in their era. You know, here's what we're seeing political conservatives do. And here's why what we say doesn't line up with that. And here's what we're seeing, you know, political liberals doing. Here's why what we say doesn't line up with that. And they sort of like relish that, like, look how weird and out of touch we are. Um, and I guess I would say um, uh, there have been times when. Um, the wider culture maybe has gotten it white, terribly wrong. And there's also been times where there's been bright spots and we haven't gotten entirely wrong. And I guess I think that's something that um, I wrestle with when I read them now and I have to go, okay, yeah, but um, what about, you know, so like um, they're, they're both Southerners and they both write from time to time about like what it was like to grow up in the American South, you know, still living under Jim Crow. And like, so they could say things like, look, this is the culture that we lived in and clearly it was wrong. And yet it was sort of like to our conversation last time, how easily Christianity accommodated itself to segregation. Um, and so like that sort of feeds their argument of like, look how everybody terribly got it wrong. And if we were following the way of Jesus, we wouldn't have done that. And then I think, okay, we've not made, we've not solved the problem of racism or segregation, but, um, you know, there there are there are strides that we've made and there are ways that things have improved to some degree uh, since then. And so to say, like things like the civil rights movement of the 60s, there were bright spots where there were voices that said we could change and we could do things differently and we could um, uh, change the way as a culture. We treated people of different groups and, and backgrounds. So rather than just dismissing that culture never gets it right, I guess now I would say. I should I bring a certain skepticism about culture getting it right that probably comes from these guys about you know don't don't assume that just because this is a popular thing that it is that uh, we'll get it right um but also to say there's the possibility every so often we get these moments of clarity or change that maybe improve things a little and um I guess again I'm I'm wary of that becoming and therefore we'll bring the kingdom of god by our efforts for social change but there are these moments when uh at least for at least in an instant there here is this glimmer of what the reign of god is like um and I guess maybe that's how I treat it more like instead of um we can uh by our sheer uh, effort or organizing make the kingdom of god happen more like there are moments where um we 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 act in ways that feel more ingrained with uh, God's vision or God's reign. There's a, there's another book of Stanley Hauerwas's that calls that's called With the Grain of the Universe, and I like that that imagery. There are sometimes when um, we when we get close to on target with what God wants or God's intention of justice and mercy for all people, um, and um, to 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 be able to honor those things and lift them up and learn from them. I guess I would also say 
I think I'm I'm open to the possibility of learning things from people outside the Christian tribe more than maybe I would have been when I first read this book. To read mm-hmm. this book is sort of like, no, Christians should only listen to Christian voices because, you know, we have this weird, peculiar savior who does things in such an upside down way. And yeah, um, but I guess I'd say I'm more open now to listening to who are the voices from the outside who help me see things that I wouldn't recognize otherwise um, because of kind of like per our last conversation, how easy it is for Christianity to decide, here's what I want to believe. Now I'll find Bible verse to back it up and sort of make it sort of uh, insular and I can't be persuaded otherwise. And sometimes you need those outside voices to go like, um, this doesn't measure up or this doesn't learn that that's not being honest, that kind of thing. Uh, even listening to voices from other parts of the church. You oh, know, sure. Yeah. We're talking about two white men from the South. Right. You know, and that we have so many more resources now, even within the church, to hear from voices from the global South. Um, sure. You know, the African church, the Asian church that can help illuminate our understanding of what it means to be Christians, along with listening to voices outside of the church, because it, it, sure. it's not bad to hear those voices either. Um, and hear their criticism sometimes of the church because we need to right. hear that. Right, right, right. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think that's a, that's a piece that um, uh, I I I need if I'm going to continue to interact with this book. And yeah, from time to time I'll wade through it again um, and find oh man they got me again. <laughs> um, but then there will be times when I'll I'll have to say okay, but I all it's also valuable to have that panoply of a, a wide variety of voices within Christianity and maybe to say um necessarily there's going to be multiple voices within this larger thing we call Christianity and sometimes I think they write with the sense of like there's one thing that Christians should all believe and here's we've got it figured out and there's sometimes I want to go yeah it really is that clear Jesus really did say love your enemies and we can, there's no like multiple voices on that that's Jesus right. is clear on that you know um there's sometimes where there's that clarity and then there's other times where it's helpful to hear from people from a variety of experiences or backgrounds and i'm not sure that they that 40 years ago then would have had that kind of room for for that kind of conversation partners you know i think one of the things that they were most concerned about that as you sort of nodded to in the beginning of our conversation here today is the way that um uh certain blocks of christianity sort of um leveraged political power that was certainly true 40 years ago with the moral majority movement and certainly is true with Mm -hmm. the waves of you know what's christian nationalism today um and they write pretty clearly strongly against that and it's like nope this this distorts what christianity was supposed to be and at least on on that point that feels to me like yeah I, i think there's a pretty strong case for why that kind of marriage of uh uh political party or political gamesmanship um we lose something important when we sort of sell out to to playing by those those rules or playing those games. And so when I when I read them again, that the the the, the uh, details are different and maybe the players are different, but that same impulse is still there. And I feel like yeah, this is as relevant as ever, even if the wars that we're fighting are slightly different or the um, causes or the issues are slightly different. There's still that we make a big mistake when we sell out to we're just an arm of a political party to uh, accomplish an agenda. Would this book be a good book for a lay book study, Bible study thing? Like, is it accessible enough for laity? Or is this more geared towards pastors? That's a good question. Um, I I, I think they, I, I I think 
I think they would intend it that it could be read by anybody and isn't just written toward pastorals, uh, pastoral leaders or, or leaders in a church. Um, they might be aspiring a little high as far as like what kind of conversation folks can, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that every, every, um, small group discussion group is ready for sort of the, the, the depth that they have and the, the ways that they are willing to pull at um, threads that maybe might make folks uncomfortable. Um, so like, I, I think it's, it's written with that intention of this isn't a pastor's only kind of a book. Um, uh, but it, I, I guess I would say it might be easier to introduce this to folks with like, here's a, uh, here's a, a shorter section or here's like a, a quote or something like that. And if this intrigues you, read the whole thing and then we can have this. But it, 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 especially now that it's 40 years old, it would be additionally hard to now get into, oh, yeah, what were the dynamics here? Because it's it's not only about political culture of the late 80s, early 90s. Um but uh, those are some of their reference points. Uh, and so that that makes it a little bit harder to, to get into if one didn't live through it. But the kind of thinking that they go through about like, I, I almost feel like I, I I look for or maybe try to to bring in my own voice to to do some of what they did in in the place where I am, the, the setting where I am to like to say, what if what if we saw ourselves, we church folk, not as the um people fighting a culture war but people who were willing to look weird and and to be those sort of that imagery of being resident aliens being outsiders of being people who aren't looking to run everything or to uh claim an empire or take back our country for god or something but instead to live as this different kind of people in the world um and to let our difference be sort of what calls attention to uh the the way of jesus um I guess I feel like that that work continues to need to be done. It just needs people who will continue to find new ways to say it and and more importantly to do it, not just people who can write books about it, but who would model for the world. Yeah, what what would it look like to be a community that lived this way differently from um, the the values that are are foisted upon us elsewhere in the world? Well, thank so, you for bringing this book back to our attention, Steve, because I. I, I don't want to speak for you, Erica, but I feel like this was one of the books that was lifted up when I was in seminary that I never read because it wasn't part of like mm -hmm. a class curriculum. Yeah. It was always one of those, like, these are other good books to read. And like in, in seminary, rarely do you find time to actually yeah. read those books. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that you did so that you could bring it back to our attention today. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, I'll look forward to what you bring to the table for our conversation next time. So we hope you'll join us next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.